What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the PropG Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of PropG Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a training camp edition of the Talking About podcast. The Sixers are down in Charleston. We are still up in the greater Northeast, but happy to talk about all the action going on down there and a quick preview of preseason, which will begin on Monday for Philadelphia. And joining with once again on the line is Dave Early of Liberty Ballers. Dave, how are you? I'm good. How you doing, Sean? Yeah, doing all right. Um, we're talking offline and got a little illness spreading through the household as as it happens with kids and whatnot. So yeah, come it's coming out of it. <laughs> Yeah, when when the kids go back to school, we 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 had a uh, my son's almost one year, and we 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 put him in a a nursery for over the weekend to for like an hour, and he was just hanging with other kids, and so who knows who knows what happened there? That's like cesspools for viruses and stuff. My sister works <laughs> in one, and yeah, it's always one thing or the other. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we're we're doing all right, and uh, a lot of great Sixers talk this week as. We had media day on Monday and then they headed down to Charleston. And the first thing I want to talk about is that there was a televised practice, which not something you really see anymore. Um, it's more popular with the NFL where beat reporters are, are there and doing like play by play of, Oh, he had 18 reps in practice today versus this guy had six and here's how they looked. And you just really don't see that stuff in the NBA as much. So it was, it was kind of cool to, to get to see that. Um, a lot of mic'd up conversations that took place, which are really interesting. We're going to talk about the, the doc James Harden one. Um, but Dave, yeah, what were just your kind of overall thoughts about, about the practice that took place, anything jump out at you or anything you found particularly interesting? Yeah, it's a great point about the, the NFL. Like the NBA, we're so comfortable, like sort of predicting rotations. We know which players are going to play and which players will probably play less. Whereas the NFL, it's like, which starter might not play that much? Is it going to be Miles Sanders or Gainwell or Boston Scott? And like everything they tweet out, we're like, that's huge information to us. NBA is not as much like that, but it is really fun and really rare to see this. I thought the conversation between Doc and Harden seemed really candid. Like maybe they knew they were mic'd up, but it sure didn't sound like they thought they were mic'd up. Right. So it felt like a real genuine sneak peek of the way they would uh, just interact. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. I don't think they were like being overly couched with anything. Just, I mean, James might've forgotten about it, that, that Doc had the mic on and. Uh, yeah, it seemed like maybe one of them did. And, and Doc probably has just been, as a coach for so long, you're just in the, the public eye and you've done so many press conferences, it's like second nature. You don't even worry about that kind of thing as much, I would imagine. Um, but yeah. Uh, Doc, Doc was similar, but James, is there was a pretty big contrast just from the James we see in press conferences and post games where it just feels like he's a little bit more guarded. Yeah, and I 
can certainly understand that with yeah you know some of the the media slings and arrows he's received in the past that oh man yeah you, you, you're just going to say the bare minimum because you just kind of want to get out of there and get on with your life you don't you don't want to have to unintentionally create any controversy that you're going to be asked about for who knows how long um but yeah so let's let's start with that i guess the the, the first point i thought that was made was like doc kind of getting on james a little bit for for not buying in i guess with the the whole post entry stuff to joelle and and talking about you know you have to be a leader with with that and i that was such a a, a sore spot for the team last year when when james joined and obviously it's been a real weakness for the team ever since joelle first stepped on the court uh, years back that they've really had a t- tough time getting him the ball in the painted area. It always seems like he has to work extremely hard, like a, a lot harder than other teams, big men's have to do to, to get the ball down low. And by the time they do, it's always like eight seconds left on the shot clock. It seems like, and then he has to, to rush something. And uh, by the time, uh, or, or when they do get him the ball, Oftentimes it's because they, they, they bring him out to 20 to 22 feet or like around the arc. And then that's not, you know, he's a good player around that area, especially for a guy's size. And he's progressed a lot as a shooter and everything else, but it's still not the ideal location for him to be initiating offense. Uh, so yeah, I was glad to see it at a point of emphasis, a point of emphasis for doc. And it was, it was interesting that, you know, he got on James a little bit about it and just like, listen, I, I hear what you're saying, but like, this has to be a focus for us because this, this is the guy led Lake in scoring. We want to, we want to make it as easy as possible for him. Uh, so I don't know. It was just a revealing conversation in a lot of ways. What, what were your impressions of it? I thought it was interesting. We had been hearing, you know, whispers in the summer that Joel wanted to work more as a perimeter player. He wanted to get better handle some of those unseen hours that Drew Hanlon's been talking about or tweeting about. Um, I think there was a ringer post about it as well. And I thought that was a response to how much difficulty the team had getting him the ball in the post and maybe the general direction the game is headed where if you're banging in the post, they are going to let a lot of fouls go because they want to see more perimeter play and yada, yada. But it sounds like doc wants to establish the run as they say, like let that's gotta be our vanilla. We've got to be able to get him the ball. When he says we were a horrible post-entry pass team, he's definitely referring to that heat series where we last remember seeing Joel fronted, doubled, and a lot of lobs, including lobs sent by James Harden and Maxi and Tobias Harris, just went right out of bounds. They couldn't get it to him. So maybe you get the sense that uh, you know Harden wanted to attack more of a spread floor, or maybe he looked off Joel and swung it back the other way. And Doc wanted him to, to just set the tone and get it into Joe first. I'm not sure. Yeah, and the Heat series obviously jumped out. That's when they were eliminated. But it's it's for years. It's just been probably the primary issue with their with their offense. Um, there there was a lot of clogging with not having great spacing when whether it was because Ben was there or because they're also playing Al alongside Ben and, and Joel. But yeah, at, at the core, just guys not able to make what we regard as, as simple passes to him. And I'm sure James wanted to, to go a little more attack heavy, a little more isolation heavy. But as Doc alluded to, like the facilitating will come 
we need you to be the scorer and the facilitator, but this is the primary thing. We need you, we need, we need to get Joel working first and then everything will stem from that. And then the, the money quote later was, you know, it's Joel and you, it's a, it's a pecking order. It's not, a, it ain't a democracy. So yeah. that, that put, put that one on the bulletin board of, of Doc Sangs, but, um, yeah, that's 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 it's pretty clear that that's we all know that's how the offense is going to flow. It's going to start with Joel. He's he's the the second billing, and then you go from there. But it's interesting to actually hear a coach say that in such stark fashion to a guy that's been an MVP, is top seventy five uh, on the all time list, and it's it's got to be a little humbling to kind of like hear that, I guess. And James seems. You know, he's a smart guy. He seems self-aware of that. He he said, "Yeah, I'm not I'm not the president anymore." Uh, to to Doc's comment, so he recognizes it's Joel's team first and foremost. But but still, for a guy who for so long was like the everything revolved around him in Houston, and it's it's got to be an adjustment. And it, it seems like he's taking it in stride and, and and making that adjustment. But it's yeah, just fascinating to to watch it unfold. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think he probably is handling it well. You know, I think he was pretty seamless when Chris Paul came along and he was adjusting. Obviously, they famously didn't get along at some point, but it certainly worked on the court when they were both healthy. And I think it would have worked gangbusters in Brooklyn, him referring to Kevin Durant and at times Kyrie Irving, even though you could make the case that when they were all when all three were healthy, he was playing best of the three of them in the regular season. So I think uh, I think the adjustment is probably a challenge for him in some ways, not being the the focal point like you said he was in Houston, but I think he's up for it. Um, but yeah, I, I do imagine that there will be some frustrations on his part if this if Doc wants this to primarily be a post team. I think Joel's post attempts cut in half when the playoffs began last year from the regular season. I don't know if some of that was because of his injuries that continued to mount. Some of that was the way the Heat played him, but it does seem like the game becomes less post-oriented um, by the second round of the playoffs. So I'm, I will be curious to see if that's going to be their plan A, B, and C, or is, do they have other things in mind? Yeah, I imagine it's a plan A, and then plan B is something that was also part of their conversation was like getting it out in transition. Like anytime Tyre- uh, Tyrese Maxey is sprinting down court, like get it to him. Like good things are going to happen. Cause yeah. yeah. And, he, and he said, we got tuck in the corner. We got to get Tobias in the other corner. And you know, that's, that's just a money position for the team to be in. Um, so yeah, I, I imagine that's kind of their plan, their plan B um, or I guess that would be plan A. Cause that would be, if, if that's there initially, you go, you go with the fast break and then plan B would be once you're in a half court set to get a jo- Joel. But, yeah. Um, if you're getting stops, he did say like, who's struggling, you know, I think Tyrese and Tobias are, so we have to get the ball to Tyrese in transition. And, uh, James seemed on board with that idea that that should be your plan A get stops, get it to Therese. Yep. Well, speaking of getting stops, um, another interesting storyline from from media day was that Joel Embiid has kind of put the individual accolade search behind him it seems like he you know they ask about MVP they ask about you know all that kind of stuff he he wasn't really up for talking about it it seemed like he was much more focused on you know team goals I just want to win a championship but also an interesting part of what he said was that 
he wants to be the defensive player that he is in the fourth quarter of the games and kind of get back to being that that way for the full you know 36 or whatever minutes that he's on the court um he's he's obviously has the capability to to be one of the best defensive players in the world but as his offensive workload has continued to mount he's he's kind of taking a step back in that area um and so it's going to be interesting to me to see whether you know he makes those comments is that is that true and he's going to you know go from averaging 30 a game last year to 25 24 25 a game this year let Tyrese and and James take on more of the more of the scoring and and become more of a, a defensive minded guy and save his, some more of his energy for that side of the court I don't know do you think that was just talk or do you think that's going to be something that uh, we actually see play out I don't know I think it's a great question I I think if you look back at like Tim Duncan he certainly could have averaged more than 21 points per game some of those years, but he seemed to know, uh, you know, Dio Royster mentioned it on a pod we did not long ago, like the perfect balance is he's not going all in on either end of the court. He's finding the right balance to help out, you know, I don't know what the percent breakdown would be, but 80% on each end so that he's uh, not carrying this crazy workload, which would, continue to keep guys like Harden and Maxi engaged offensively, you know, and when guys like that are getting buckets, they're going to play a little bit harder defensively too. And we would like to see Maxi take a leap there. If he's struggling to, to score because we're trying to get Joel a ton of post-ups and he's averaging 30 points game, he's going to be worn out on the defensive end and a couple of his teammates might be frustrated with their roles. So I think the perfect balance is hard to define, but I do think it's uh, it's with Joel taking on much more of a defensive responsibility than he did last year. Yeah, although yeah, your point's valid that you know you want to give guys touches every every so often just to keep them engaged and mm-hmm. and focused on both ends of the court. But I, I wouldn't worry about Tyrese giving effort because from from watching practice, he he's he's the one in those shell drills that's just running around like a madman. So. The, yeah, I didn't mean to say he the was, guy has energy to burn, but yeah. but just when, when you're having fun, yeah, it's easier to play with your the most unbridled energy you have. Yep, absolutely. Um, and, and we saw the, the the flip side of it was with Ben Simmons when he was not involved offensively, he really struggled. You know, he didn't want to go to the line. There there were probably ways to get him more offensively involved than they did in the past. So you'd like to see. So, you know, some you and I talked about it over the course of last year. Like, if Maxi is struggling, maybe put him out there without Embiid. If Harden is, maybe do the same, just to keep them going, so they don't go three games in a cold patch, or they're deferring. Exactly. Yeah, it's going to be a storyline to watch. Whether it, you know, we talked about the the post entry stuff being the the bread and you know the the primary way they want to initiate offense, but. It, it, it will take a toll on Joel you, if, if you're doing that game after game, even, even if you're trying to make it as easy as possible for him. And he, he probably can't do that and still be maximizing his potential in the defensive end. So it, are they going to be more selective with that? Or is it going to be a situation where it's it's more like last year and he, he leads the league in scoring, but you know doesn't really ramp up the defense until the last six minutes of the game? Um, yeah, pro- probably based on Joel's comments, it's probably going to be more of the former and we'll see him maybe take a step back as, as Tyrese 
comes into his own and, and James is healthier and looking more spry than he was last year coming off the hamstring and everything. Um, and, yeah. and then he can, he can be the more effective version of himself uh, on, the, on the defensive end. Yeah, Joel certainly saying what you and I are hoping to hear. Yep. Yeah. So good stuff from Joel this week. Seems, seems focused. Um, seems like a man that has everything in life kind of in, in order and categorized in his mind and, and knows the path he wants to take ahead. Um, just good stuff from the, the, the MVP finalist. All right. We're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to talk more training camp stuff and a preview of Monday's preseason opener. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, and we're back. Um, Dave, another kind of interesting rotation thing is concerning the the defensive havoc records. Dan, the, the newcomer, D'Anthony Melton, and the the holdover, Matisse Seibel. So we, we've made the point a lot on this pod that Doc never really went to the Matisse Thibel Danny Green combo very often last season, which theoretically you would have liked to see more of, given that they were probably their two best wing defenders. And you know, in a in a playoff setting, especially, you want as many of those type of guys as you can get on the court. Um, but yeah, for whatever reason, never went to that. Uh, maybe just thought it wasn't enough ball handling with both of them out there. Who knows? But now they have Melton, who you know. Not not the same player as Danny Green. He's a, he's a lot more of a, a creator off the dribble. Um, probably not as dead eye a shooter in, in spot up situations as Danny, although still a capable guy at around thirty six percent on his career. But but like Thibel, you know, elite at creating deflections, steals. Like he, he and Matisse are both like top five in the in the league in those kind of categories. So I'm really intrigued to see if they go with those two together. Uh, because I, I think that can just create a lot of loose ball opportunities, really kickstart these these fast break chances for the team. Uh, you know, get those two and, and Tyrese on the court together. That's a lot of speed, a lot a lot of like long limbs and deflections and just chaos that would ensue. And I'm I'm here for it. Um, based on what we've seen at camp, do you think that's something Doc is leaning towards experimenting with, or do you think it's going to be more of a, the same where he he only has one of those kind of kind of guys on the court at the time i think the safe bet is that we're we're going to see very little of it i think we got like 200 minutes of of green and matisse and it felt like most of it came when like four other guys were out of the lineup for some reason or another um 
I, yeah, I'm not sure the reason Doc would give us is not enough ball handling. There's more than enough ball handling if you've got Harden in any lineup. If you have James Harden out there, you have enough ball handling because he's good enough. We, we know that worked for, what, 65 games in Houston at one point. So, yeah, you, you can just have four low usage spot up guys around him and that that'll be that'll be fine like he's, he's more ball handling than the way. opponent yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i i've never really felt that they they need more dribblers out there like if anything i think i'd like to see doc go the other way and say i don't need four guys who can iso score I, maybe i like would like to get a couple at once who can offer deflections and steals and do things that james and tyrese are not naturally great at um to complement Joel, whether Joel's on or off, uh, to complement the team. So I would love to see it. I, I'm sure you would love to see it, but I don't think we're going to see a ton of it. I think it's more of a Melton is penciled in and Matisse, who is getting rave reviews in camp for his work ethic, is getting rave reviews from both Doc and Joel, and Melton mentioned it as well. Uh, I think he's really going to have to earn it, and I'm not sure that he will at this point. So it'd be fun to see. But the, the easier guess for me is that they will be staggered to a degree. Yeah, um, you're, you're probably right, but I, I really just want to see it. Um, yeah, you, you, you said that Matisse was specifically uh, praised by Doc as like one of the three hardest workers. It was Tyrese, who, of course, has the, the 1% better everyday mantra. They, they, can't, they can't lock him out of the gym. He, he finds a way to... <laughs> If, there were interventions know. at Doc's house between <laughs> Spencer and Sam Cassell. Like, you gotta get Matisse, uh, you gotta get Maxi out of the gym. He's going too hard. Yeah. So, obviously, Maxi's going to be included on any hardest hardest workers list. But uh, yeah, good to see Matisse was also mentioned in that category. And um, I think Paul Reed was the third guy he he kind of identified. But uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting whether. Because because there's a lot of scenarios where Matisse isn't even really a part of the regular rotation, and it, it's kind of a numbers game. And they brought in three, however you want to classify Tucker, but three like perimeter guys that that weren't here a year ago, and they they only really lost one in Danny Green. Uh, so definitely a lot fewer minutes to be had. Uh, and, and Matisse had already kind of fallen out of favor slightly last year with his his struggles and then the whole um, not being vaccinated and not being available for the, the road games in Toronto and how that, you know, affected his confidence and his rhythm and everything else. So um, it, it's been good to hear that he feels a lot more confident coming off a, a regular offseason where it wasn't affected by COVID or uh, the Olympics. And he's just been able to work on his own game and hopefully the, the results are positive, but yeah, it, it, he doesn't have every opportunity in the world this year because there's plenty of competition for those minutes. Um, it's not like years past and yeah, he, he's going to, he's going to really need to step up. So it's, it's good that he's getting praise as a guy putting in those those hours and, and working hard because he, he's going to need to like what the player he was last year is not going to cut it. All right, Dave. So the last bit we're going to end on is the preseason coming up. It's starting on Monday against uh, a lot of familiar faces with the Brooklyn Nets. You're, uh, you know, you've got your finger on the pulse of the Brooklyn situation. What do you, should we expect all hands on deck for that one? Is it, are they supposed to have a 
expected to have a full lineup for that for that contest on Monday? I haven't heard the latest, but I would not expect it. I just figure there's a better chance than not that one, two, or three of the big three uh, in Brooklyn will not be active. It just, I don't know. Do you play Kevin Durant in the first game of preseason? He, he might want to play, but it wouldn't be shocking at all if it was like, yeah. You know, they've been pretty conservative with Kev over the years. Um, ben Simmons coming off back surgery, so I could see that going either way. Do you want to get him like 10 minutes to see how it feels, shake off the rust, break that streak that he has going now of having not played since game seven against Atlanta, June 2021? Um, so I, I guess the over-under is like 1.5 of their, their big three will be active. Yeah, what's what's been the the level of activity for Ben? Has he has he been going in full scrimmages? I, I know we we all saw the videos of Brooklyn beat writers falling all over themselves because Ben was shooting threes at practice, as if that that wasn't something we saw hundreds of times. Um, I, I think yeah, I think Paul our called it Ben Simmons derangement syndrome. <laughs> it's like watching a movie that you've seen yeah. a million times, like watching Pulp Fiction with someone who's never seen it. Yeah, and you're like you're just saying all the lines before they come out. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a great analogy because we've lit. It's it's literally like the people that watch The Office every day on TBS or something, and they can quote every episode, and it's just background for them. That that's what Ben became for for us. It was just background. Oh yeah, he's shooting threes in practice again. It's never going to happen though. Like yeah, he's going to take a few before the game, <laughs> but definitely don't expect him to do it in the game. Um, yeah. And he joked with J.J. Redick that, like, you know, I feel like this got misquoted because people were like, they took the direct quote, which was, yeah, I'm going to shoot a bunch of threes. But if you listen to the full thing, he's like, yeah, I'm going to shoot a bunch of threes and strand Kevin Durant when he's open to take another three. So I think he was joking, like, I don't, I'm not going to shoot threes on this team. Look around me. Seth Curry, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris. Um, So I do not expect him to be a shooter this year. I think he made steps towards acknowledging and joking that he's not a good shooter with JJ with a glass of wine. Um, so maybe a little bit more of an acknowledgement from him that, it, you know, like he said some of things that annoyed Sixers fans understandably in the past, like, Oh, I don't need to work on it. Or I'm going to not do it because when I do do it, I want to shoot 40%, not 25%. I'm just dismissing all that. Just looking at him like Nick Claxton, you do some great things out there. We're going to use you, but shooting threes is not one of them. No, it's it's not going to happen. It was just hysterical to see the old eyeball emojis and everything else from from people who just don't know any better yet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and he he also said the the who knows comment and at at their the Nets media day was also just totally flippant and <laughs> like come on. Sixers fans for many years, like 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 had plenty of reason to feel optimism. The first overall pick went through the process. If he could, he could be like an MVP candidate player. So you, you have every reason to hope that he can shoot. But at, by 2021, 22, and now 23, like if you're, if you're holding out any hope, if you're asking him about his jump shot or filming it, you may as well do the same for Adebayo and Gobert and Clint Capella. Yeah, and that was a good point that you made. Like that's... Uh, on our last episode, just the 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 point guard mon- moniker might have just hurt him uh, in this area more than was anticipated because, as, as you said, 
damn Anabayo doesn't shoot threes. And it's just, it's not something it's asked about every day because there's no expectations for that to happen. Um, but because Ben has the ball in his hands and he's the quote unquote point guard, uh, that just became an expectation. And it kind of became this uh, self-fulfilling prophecy of destruction as it got asked more, he got more defensive and then it just spiraled in a, in a downward he's manner. Been, he's been very defensive about it. I don't think he's handled it well. Um, so it, I understand plenty of the animosity, which gets lit on absolute fire when he asks and demands a trade. Cause now it's like every reason I was frustrated with you and disappointed in you. Now I hate you. So you get it from a Sixer standpoint. He was not the Nets overall pick any Nets fan. Who's like, can't wait to see if he's going to shoot. It has Ben Simmons derangement syndrome. I do feel bad for them, but I don't think Nets nation, all 150 of them are really hanging on him to shoot this year. No, they got, they've, they have other concerns. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there, there's plenty of uh, angst ridden topics that have gone on in Brooklyn the last few months to, you don't have to dredge that one up. Yeah. What's uh, it going to be like to coach these guys, coach Nash? <laughs> uh what, what do you think so i saw this conversation um this week is nash just not the right guy for these kind of like strong personalities like do they need somebody that is a little more like like rides them a little bit harder is it takes on more of a stern stance with with things or because we always hear that with, with stars you need this this players coach somebody that's going to be you know, appeasing and just go out of his way to bend over backwards to make them happy. Um, but maybe, maybe he's, his style is just too much in that direction. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I don't know. I, I think he, he's not respected as like the greatest X's and O's coach out there. Right. But he does command complete respect because of his playing days. And I think the players understand that when he says something, when he speaks, it, he has a way of, cutting through the fat he sounds like he reads a lot of like social psychology books he'll say like you know i'm not really worried about the ups and downs of patty mills shooting struggles i think patty's going to shoot over 40 percent on a year i'm not sure that there's something i can say to motivate these guys these guys have gone to finals with you know bad vibes in the past before so it's they're, they're intrinsically motivated and i get that it's possible that he's so much of a player's coach that it actually works with these unique personalities who might eat someone else alive or, or run a disciplinarian out of town. Like I wouldn't think Steve Clifford would do better at it, trying to get them to play harder defense or Tom Thibodeau, you know? Yeah. That, that'd be too much in the other direction. Yeah. <laughs> um, pro- probably a slightly more middle ground that could be reached, but yeah, you're right. That first and foremost, the, the respect from his, his outstanding playing career himself garners a lot of cachet with definitely guys like Durant who, you know, it seems to have a real respect for the history of the game and everything. I yeah, imagine. KD's obsessive about different moves. So when Steve says, you know, you could have done an in and out there, drawn a defender out and then hit the pass, KD knows like that's great intel. Yeah, like the, the Hezzy pull up. He's the yeah. guy that <laughs> really, really popularized that in the mainstream. So yeah, that's his fastball changeup. I'm yeah. going left, I'm shooting. Yep. So, all right, Dave, any. Well, any other topics that really jumped out at you at campus so far this week, or, or should we just wrap it up and, and talk about the preseason game next, next week? I liked your, uh, I loved your post on Daniel house. Um, I liked how he was candid and acknowledged that 
time spent by himself, maybe not on a roster was tough for him. And it made it so comforting to know that he was going to be contending with his teammates that he knows and, and likes. And James had some really, really kind words about his character, which has been questioned in the past. So I thought that was a great, great post. And I'll be really excited to see what he can bring. Yeah. I, I, well, thank you first. And um, I think that his, addition has really kind of flown under the radar because you know as i wrote like Mel- melton got all the the draft buzz draft because hype. yeah that that was the trade that happened all draft night and uh, they gave up the first round pick so everyone who had been doing draft preparation like kind of transferred their anticipation slash research towards what melton would bring to the table and then pj tucker was the big free agent acquisition because there was all the you know keith pompey rumors leading up to it you know a couple weeks prior then the the tampering investigation which is still ongoing so every time that gets brought up tucker goes back to the forefront and just uh you know dating back to the playoffs when joel you know specifically named pj as as the type of player they wanted to go after and everyone uh you know i think i would say rightly uh, interpreted that as as a call to management to bring him in um, so yeah, PJ, PJ was the, the kind of headliner for free agency. And then, you know, house, you know, on the, the bringing him in on the exception, the two year, eight, $8.5 million deal. But I, I think he's going to be a really good, like 20 minutes a game guy. He's, he's got really no major holes in his game. He, he's a, a slightly above average shooter. He, as, as, as I, uh, as I referenced, Tom Moore has done a, or not Tom Moore, sorry, Tom Moore, who's great beat for the the Sixers but does not write for Liberty Ballers um Tom West uh for for LB <laughs> has um written ex- pretty extensively about how well he uh Daniel House played defensively after joining Utah last year to the point where he was actually taking over for Royce O'Neal in late game uh late game lineups because he was he was kind of their primary wing defender um, so just having a guy like that, where he, he doesn't need to be the primary guy, he, you have uh, either Melton or Matisse or PJ Tucker, if it's a, it's a bigger forward. Um, so just having like this guy who's like one of four options for you to, to just kind of shut guys down defensively and, and not having a, a major hole in his game where, yeah, he can take it off the dribble a little bit. He's a, he's a pretty good spot up shooter. Like you can just trust him in alongside anyone, just great flexibility of in within different lineups, great versatility on the court. Uh, yeah. I just think it's going to be the, uh, the production to, to hype ratio for, for the house signing is, is probably higher than anybody else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and at times I think he went under the radar. Like you said, at times I think Melton went under the radar because of the splash that the Tucker acquisition was and how much success team success Tucker has seen over the last couple of years. I think that you're going to get this quiet tournament throughout the year where they'll all get chances. But what the end goal is, is that if you're playing in a conference finals against a team like Boston or Milwaukee, uh, where there's multiple excellent perimeter players, you have some good options to put on them the whole game, like two of them, the whole game, you need to cover Jimmy Butler and Tyler hero and Kyle Lowry, you need to cover, you know, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, but but let alone worrying about Giannis. So you're going to need House, you're going to need Melton, you're going to need Matisse, you're going to need Tucker, you're going to need Tobias. 
Um, and I guess there won't be room for every one of those guys. So the cream will inevitably rise to the top. It'll be up to Doc to find the best ones and uh, and keep them out there. Yep. Yeah, it's great to have those Maybe options Paul available. Maybe some <laughs> perimeter D on that. Yeah, well, it was interesting at, at camp that, you know, Reed was playing alongside Joel at, at the four. And Doc said, like, you, you already have to focus so much on keeping Joel off the glass. And now you got Reed playing alongside him. Like, I, I, I just don't know like, what kind of havoc he's going to wreck on the offensive, re- the offensive glass. Um, I'd and- love to see it. I'd love to see it because Daryl Morey has said, like, if you want to be the best of 30, your only goal is to be number one. You got to do some weird crap. And so that might be putting Paul Reed on Scotty Barnes in a playoff series. That might be putting Paul Reed on Pascal Siakam or something that they're not expecting because they haven't seen you do it a ton. You got to be ready for it. So you got to do it, rehearse it during the regular season. Can Reed play with some of these other guys? Can you guys do more of more switching than you've done in the past? Or is it always going to be and be drop covered? So let's get weird. Yeah, the number one thing is let's let's at least try it and get a look mm-hmm. at it. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But it's a long regular season. People argue that it's too long. So let's at least take advantage of it and try different stuff. Yeah, I'd argue that. Yeah. So all right, Dave, this has been a great convo. I'm excited to talk again when we have actual games albeit maybe just preseason games next time we speak but still uh it's been a long off season i'm excited to see the sixers back on the court against competition not just inter-squad practices but yeah yeah that, that was still great to see this week and but it's, it's going to be good to, to see them back out on the court next week and really get the season going um as we've continued to talk this off season and I feel, and and the Eagles are now the, the last undefeated team in the NFL. Um, we'll leave that for for Seamus and Paul with their crossover pod, but, but not still. just a paper tiger, not like <laughs> not like one of those. Oh, they're undefeated. They're yeah. they're legit. Yep. Yeah. So it feels like it could be a really positive uh, fall into winter for Philadelphia sports right now, and hopefully the Sixers can build on what many perceive to have been a positive off season. And uh, yeah, we'll see how it all plays out, but it'll, it'll all get started Monday with preseason and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you next week. Um, Dave, where can everybody find you online? What, what about an Andy Reid versus Eagles Super Bowl, Chiefs Eagles, and then maybe a Sixers Clippers championship where Doc faces his old team. That'd be fun. You can find me at Liberty Ballers. <laughs> Yeah, well, we, we, we do have the Doug Peterson return this week, and, and people are talking about, about how positively the, the Jags have looked and played to begin the season there. You He's know, a they're good coach. Yeah. Yeah. Coach. Amazing when you have a good coach to uh, – you, you can turn around Trevor Lawrence, who people said was the, the best QB prospect since Andrew Luck, but then Andrew or Urban Meyer makes him look like garbage, but <laughs> get somebody who actually knows what they're doing in there. Made and, himself look like garbage too. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the Doug, good coach. Uh, I, I think the parting was, you know, came at the right time in Philadelphia, but the man, the man brought the city a Super Bowl. He's, he's going to get a, a, hell, a heck of a ovation. Um, yeah, we said the same time. about Andy back in the day. The timing was right. Great coach, but the timing for a change is right. People said the same about Doug. And uh, people said the same about Doc the last two years. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. But uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully Doc learned and we'll see a, a little bit more flexibility in the upcoming season. But we, uh, we're optimistic. 
it'll be <laughs> telling to see if he goes and watches small ball daryl's musical there you go <laughs> that'll that'll be it if 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 they ask him uh a press press question about that and he Have can you seen small ball <laughs> yeah <laughs> there you go all right D- dave well thanks a lot for joining me this week everyone out there have a great weekend next week and we'll talk to you soon what does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape this is scott galloway host of the prop g podcast and an entrepreneur myself Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.